fourth, fifth graders can, uh, if you haven't already gone, you can go to class at this time, third, fourth, fifth. Jill, you're not that, that young. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's great to have everybody here today, especially those of you that are visiting with us. Uh, if this is your first time again, I'm Jerry, I'm the pastor, and um, it's very, very exciting for me to be able to look out and see those of you who are visiting, and um, I'm excited for you, I'm excited that you're here, because I really believe, uh, two things I say every week, I'll probably say it at the end as well, but I believe it with all my heart, that is this, nobody's here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. And if he brought you here, it's because he's got something for you. Now, you may not ever be back into this place, and that's up to you. But I believe today he's got something for you. And my prayer is you'll discover it, that you'll find it, and that God will use that to touch you and to help you to be closer to him when you leave this place. The second thing I say every week is this. Uh, if you're visiting with us, my challenge is give us the next four to six weeks because that's the only way I believe you can honestly understand and know if this is the place God wants for you. And so that's my challenge. Just give us the next four to six months, and then I believe, I mean weeks, I mean. Because uh, I really believe you'll discover that this is where God wants you, and this is the place God has for you. Uh, let's uh, get started today by God's providence. We're working our way through Psalm 23. In fact, this is the third installment in our series called Finding Hope in the Struggles of Life. Anybody struggle in here? Yeah. The rest of you, you know, lying is a sin, right? <laughs> okay. Bottom line is we all struggle, right? Everybody in here struggles. Finding hope in the struggles of life. In week one, we unpacked the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And the big takeaway for me was this. The Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. You understand that? The Lord cannot be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Last week, we spent time unpacking the next part. I have everything I need. And the big takeaway for me was this. We need to stop gazing on what we think we want, and we, we need to start grazing on what God has already provided for us. Amen? We need to stop gazing on what we think we want, what we think we need, what we think we have to have, and we just need to start grazing on what God has already given us, what he's already provided for us. And that brings us to today. This morning we're going to, uh, to look at verse 2 and the first part of verse 3 where David writes these words. He lets me rest in green pasture. He leads me to calm water. He gives me new strength. Let me ask you, can anyone here use some refreshing Green pastures, does that sound good to anybody? Some quiet, some calm, some still waters, does that sound good? Or how about this, does anybody here today need some new strength? I know I do, right? I mean, that's just something we all need, that new strength. And here's why I say that, because our lives tend to be anything but quiet, peaceful, and strengthened. The modern American is pictured as a person running up an escalator. And you don't have to be a prophet to know that technology has made three things happen in our world today. First of all, our world has gotten smaller. I'm not talking about size. It's been probably 20 years ago, actually, so it's been happening for a long time. Probably 20 years ago, my, my in-laws, Bert and Jan Walther, Lucy's mom and dad, 
they were on a uh, trip to Germany in Germany. And my mother-in-law goes out on to the deck, and she's sitting in a chair looking out on all the beautiful scenery. And there was a lady came, sat down on a chair next to her, and they just began to talk. And as they talked, the lady, or my mother-in-law said, so are you from the United States as well? Because she could tell by how she talked. And the lady said, yes, I am. And she said, well, where are you from? And the lady said, well, I'm from Indiana. And my mother-in-law said, yeah, my son-in-law's from Indiana. He's from a little town called Brazil, Indiana. And this lady said, oh, yeah, I know where Brazil is. I live 15 minutes from there in a little town called Clay City. And so they talked a little farther, a little longer. And as they talked, my mother-in-law found out that not only did she live close to where I'm from, but this lady actually knows my mom and dad. Not only did she know my mom and dad, but my dad had put her pool in, and she buys all of her pool supplies from my mom, who was running a pool shop at that time. Small world, right? The world has gotten smaller. But the second thing is this. Our world has gotten a lot more complex. And thirdly, our world has speeded up. I mean, the reality is you live at a much faster pace than your parents did, and your kids will live at a much faster pace than you are living right now, even though it doesn't seem that way. Here's the thing. Most of us like to think we have things under control, right? We think that we can continue to add more stuff to our lives without it affecting how we live those lives. In the book called Margin by Dr. Richard Swenson, this is what he writes. He says, often used descriptors of our society include active, busy, driven, fatigued, tired, exhausted, weary, burnt out, anxious, overloaded, or stressed. Seldom do you hear our society described as well-rested. We are a tired generation, one of which, and I love this phrase, hurry sickness has become a way of life. When my son Brandon was living in Kenya, the Swahili word that is shouted out when they see us white-skinned folks is the word mazungu. Mazungu. The root of the word means one who roams around aimlessly and frantically. It's a great descriptor, right? Of hurried sickness. Here are some other descriptors of hurried sickness. See if you can relate to any of these, okay? Here we go. Are you haunted by a fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what you think needs to be done? Anybody here? Does that, yeah, come on, let's be honest, right? How about this one? Do you find yourself nodding faster or using hand motions when listening to someone else who is talking slowly to encourage them to speed up? You ever done that? Okay, okay, come on, come on. You know, get, get with the program here. Okay. How about this one? Have you ever pulled up to a stoplight where there was a car in each lane in front of you and you quickly evaluated which lane had the oldest driver in it so you could get behind the other car? Anybody? Okay, come on, yeah, let's be honest. Okay, how about this one? At the grocery store, if you had a choice between two checkout lines, do you start counting the number of people in each line, then multiply that by the number of items in their cart to see which line is faster? Anybody? Okay, now, if you've done that, while in your line, do you keep track of the person in the other line that would have been you? Number of items in the person's cart in front of you in the express line to make sure they have 15 items or less. Come on, let's raise them high, yeah. Last one. This was so characteristic 
of Northern Virginia outside D.C. where we live. Have you ever finished getting dressed, brushed your teeth, put on your makeup, or shaved? I haven't seen it as much here, but I have, uh, I have seen it a couple of times. But in Northern Virginia, like I said, outside D.C., oh, man, almost every morning. I actually did pull up next to somebody. We were stopped at the stoplight, and I looked over, and this guy had shaving cream on. And he was shaving in the mirror at the stoplight. Actually happened. Now, we laugh at these partly because we know that there's some truth in them. But here's a truth that's difficult to hear. When we live in a constant state where our lives are hurried, our ability to hear and connect with God is greatly reduced. Did you hear that? When we live our lives in a constant state of hurry, our ability to hear and connect with God is greatly reduced. Stephen Covey writes in his book, First Things First, he said, people expect us to be busy and overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular, and pleasing, and it's also a good excuse for not dealing with the things that are most important in our lives. Wow. And here's why we need to understand that. Because if we are not careful in our attempts to grow and serve in our relationship with Jesus over time, the boundaries of our life can slowly become blurred. I love what Bill Hybels described his life like. This is what he said. He said, I was doing the work of God at a pace that was destroying the work of God in me. Now, that's something we need to take to heart right there. I was doing the work of God at a pace that was destroying the work of God in me. And we can always use the excuse, well, I'm, I'm spiritual. I, look what I'm doing. I'm serving. I'm doing all these things. And, uh, and we've got a long list of things that we're doing. But is it destroying the work of God in us? Because we have no time to rest in him and to spend time in his pasture or by his cool waters where our thirst is quenched. You see, therein lies the danger. So what's the answer? Well, here in verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 23, David brings us back to what's important. And it's finding those places of rest that renew and strengthen our souls. Look at what verse 2 says. He lets me rest in green pastures. He lets me rest in green pastures. Now, when you read about the green pastures, what picture pops into your mind? Maybe something like this, right? Maybe this is the picture you think of when you read those words, green pastures. Here's the thing. We've got to remember that this was written in the land of Israel, not North Carolina, okay? And what you find there is a very rocky and barren environment where very little rain, especially between May and October, falls. Dry is an understatement. And so when David declares that our shepherd lets us lie down in green pastures, we fail to realize the work involved by the shepherd to get that kind of green pastures. They don't just happen. They are created. That means that the shepherd has to roll up his sleeves and has to get to work in order to provide a place for rest and a place of nourishment for his sheep. Now, as I was studying that this week, um, two things hit me. 
you know, God sometimes just kind of has to knock me in the head to get me to think right, I think. If you want to know where the church office is, it's the welcome desk, right? That's my, that's my office. So I'm sitting there studying, and all of a sudden, these are the things that pop into my head as, as I'm thinking about this. And the first thing is this. Our shepherd is working behind the scenes and upstream to provide a place of rest. They don't, they don't just happen, they're created. But he's working behind the scenes where you don't even see it. You don't even know it. And he's working upstream to provide those places. And the problem is we're only seeing in the here and now. And so what we see, we don't like. And God is saying, just wait. Just be patient. Because up ahead, around that next turn, over that next hill, I've got a place for rest. A place for you. The second thing that hit me was this. That place of rest may not look like the picture that we have in our minds, but it will be the perfect spot for him to be able to pour strength into our depleted souls. You get that? That place of rest, it may not be what we picture. It may not be what we think we need. It may not be that place where we want to necessarily go, but it will be the perfect place for God to pour into us and to pour into our depleted lives and our depleted souls. Here's the thing. When the pasture is lush and green, when it is soft and comfortable to lay down in, all of a sudden our dependence on the shepherd doesn't seem quite as urgent, does it? Because all of a sudden we're comfortable. All of a sudden we're happy. And our dependence slowly wanes. So as I thought about, the, about those two things, here's the question that kept going through my mind. Is getting the perfect spot ready for us, then why do we have, have such a hard time trusting him? Why is it? If God is working behind the scenes, if he's working upstream to prepare that perfect place for him to pour into us, then why do we have such a hard time just, just trusting him with our life? Even in the midst of the struggle, we panic, we get frustrated, we even get angry at God. And sometimes we just want to give up. That's why we have to trust in the one who is working upstream to provide that place of rest and renewal, even if it's different than what we think we need. Kara, won't you come here, man? Kara's went through some tough struggles. She posted something this week after we had been praying for her. And I think she actually got it from Tiffany, but uh, as I read that, I thought, man, that, that just fits so perfect into what I'm talking about this week. So I just asked Kara to come and just share a brief testimony in her life of how, how this, what we've just talked about, about how our shepherd works upstream, how our shepherd works behind the scenes, how sometimes those places that we think in our mind we need are not the places he has for us, how that's affected you. So I'll turn it over to you. Just make sure you speak right into the mic. So, um, when Jerry asked me to do this, um, I'm, I'm a big believer that the Lord works through people to work through other people, to bless other people, and that's really what happened. Um, it is true that Tiffany sent me 
um, the encouragement that that I received that day that I shared. Um, I think when I think, gosh, brevity is not my strength. Okay, so I think when I think about um, trusting God, I think the thing, first thing I need to tell you is that I learn about trusting um, from the mistakes that I've had and the things, the struggles that I've had with not trusting God. Um, if you, you look sometimes about what I, with what I've experienced, I give him the trust, then I take it back, then I give it to him, then I take it back, then I give it to him, then I take it to him, and then finally he'll typically either force my hand or it's kind of like a kid where you're like, oh, just take it, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're, you're drained and you're struggled and you're struggling and that's, um, I do trust the Lord very much, but I tell you that to tell you that it's not an easy thing. My custody battle with my ex-husband, um, that was a really big struggle. And it, I live under still kind of a living nightmare in my world, um, I live under the concern of always going back to court and what that might be and what that might look for, like but for my children. But for the, this is another story for a later time, but if you ever want to know about how God worked in that situation for me, he laid out every single thing, and I can tangibly show you where he was working upstream the entire time through people in this church who came through for me when I didn't know how I was going to afford to pay for an attorney to the judge that we went before, to the people he put in my life at that time to make it happen. And I remember in court that day after the judge had made her decision and after every blessing that I'd asked for had been answered, that I would always remember in my struggles in the future how God had worked in this time. And if he was going to take me through this, he was not going to leave me. And so recently I've been going through some difficulties at work. Um, some things are going on in my organization that aren't okay. And I do, I've had the concern that I'm going to come home one day without my job, not because I've done anything, not, um, I will always be respectful, I'll always be professional, but I do worry that because I'm somebody who stands my ground for what I believe in, that I could lose my job. And I went into a meeting this week that I was really concerned that that could happen. And I asked for prayer, looked, reached out to every prayer warrior I knew. And for now, everything's okay. I don't know that that will be. A few weeks from now, a few months from now, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I've laid it at his feet and that I've asked him to put the people in my path that I need in my path to protect our family. And I keep telling myself that he has not left me yet and he's not going to now. So what Tiffany shared with me to conclude that morning that I had that meeting and that everybody was holding me in prayer and those of you who took a moment to pray when I posted that know how much I appreciate it. Because <laughs> we're more than two gather. There's power. When I ask for prayer and you guys take the time, it means a lot. I really appreciate it. It's the biggest gift you can give anybody. When they need prayer, it's to stop and pray. 
And she said, my sister, you've seen the Lord come through for you so many times over the course of your life. You've seen how he's made a way out of no way for you. Don't pretend like you don't know what your father can do. If he's done it before, he's doing it again right now. The word of God promises that he makes a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And just when you're fighting not to feel discouraged because there seems to be no way, God causes you to look up and see the way he's made for you. God's not going to make a way. He's already made a way. And it's now up to you to ask him to open your eyes and help you see the way he's made. Don't lean to your own understanding. Allow the spirit of the Lord to show you what he wants you to see. The Lord is not worried. And neither should you worry. He's not pacing the floor and neither should you. He's waiting for you to come to him and pray. Lord, trust that you've made a way for me. Open my eyes. See your way and grace for me to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. And earlier this year, I was praying over what to get on my phone case. That's why I actually brought it up here. Um, and I'll sit to read you this. Um, I, I always ask for a Bible verse to lead me, and I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And I, was, I felt led toward trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. This is not always the warmest, fussiest verse. I kind of prefer the Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope for a future. But I sense that this year was going to be tough in some ways. It's kind of why I didn't want to get this case. But at the same point in time, it's true. And God always has a way of reminding you of that. So thank you for taking the time to hear my story. Thank you, Kate. One of the things that uh, happens when we begin to learn that trust and, and really begin to focus on, on our God is, is we begin to sense more and more of his presence. And his presence is really the thing that can make the difference. In fact, as I was reading through this series about sheep, one of the things that, that I thought was really cool is it said that nothing calms and quiets the sheep like seeing their shepherd in the field with them. It just calms them. It just quiets them. Um, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller writes, I came to realize nothing so quieted and re reassured my sheep as to see me in the field. I came into view. My presence attracted their attention. The sheep quickly forgot this makes all the difference because it enables the sheep to lie down and experience rest. And just like sheep, notice, when the struggles of life get that real, just like Caritas. So let me ask you this. When the struggles of life get real, just like Kara talked about, when those struggles get real, does the presence of your shepherd make any difference to you? I mean, does it really make a difference for you? Because it should. Or are you... You see, that's why at times it's not easy to get sheep to lie down in order to rest. And a lot of times the, the shepherd has to encourage them to lie down, even make them lie down. And just like sheep, I believe that there are times in our life when our shepherd has to encourage us, maybe even make us lie down as well. Why? Because bottom line is we're stubborn and prideful people, right? 
people who think we know what's best for our lives. And so we stop trusting him and we start doing what we think is best. And so in those times, we need a forced rest. We need to learn the importance of boundaries that will help us discover what we need to do in order to restore our souls. And these boundaries can create space for our shepherd to do his work, space for him to infuse our spirits with new strength. I really like this, what he says. He says, sitting down before God with our calendar and a submitted spirit is one of the holiest things we can do. Putting together a schedule is not so much about determining what you're trying to get over those remaining years of your life. And so ask yourself, what kind of a husband, a father, a friend do I want to become? Because if that's who you really want to become, then what is it that needs to be taken out of or tweaked in my schedule so that I can become that kind of person? What kind of space, what kind of boundary needs to be put into my schedule so that the shepherd can do his restorative work in my spirit, in my heart, in me? He lets me lie down in green pastures. But the second thing he says is this, he leads me to calm water. Again, we've got to remember the climate in which David lived. We would probably, we would probably describe much of his surroundings as barren and dry. In fact, so as a shepherd, if you want your sheep to have clear, clean drinking water, you had to go dig out, dig up the pools of water, and sometimes even fill them yourselves. Here's the thing. A good shepherd doesn't let the sheep go out to find this still, quiet water on their own. Instead, he leads the sheep. He knows the way, and he lovingly takes the sheep where they will calm and provide and be provided for. So then what are these calm waters? Well, calm waters are waters that flow very slowly or not at all. They bring peace and rest to one's spirit. I don't know about you, but for, for me, one of the most relaxing things in life is the sound of that bubbling brook or that gently flowing stream. It's something that brings peace and calmness into your life. That's why a lot of people will have water features at their home, simply because they love just to hear that sound because it, it calms and brings peace. It helps you to focus without any distraction. In Hebrew, the words for calm waters literally mean rest, a place of trust, a place where we rely on and focus on him without any distractions. Here's the thing. I believe our shepherd desires to lead us beside calm waters so that the waters of our soul can become still. Psalm 46.10, we just, it just says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. You know, I love the advice that a mentor gave to author Ruth Barton. This is what her mentor said. She said, Ruth, you are like a jar of river water that's being shaken. What you need to do is sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water of your soul can become clear. I like that. That's cool. But it's so true. Let me ask you, does that describe your life? I mean, are things unclear, are things cloudy, are things confusing because you live in a constant state of being shaken up? Do you need to stop and be still so that things can settle and become clear in your soul? God wants us to be still 
to lie down in those paths and do his work in us. But the third thing we see in these verses is this. When we allow our shepherd to do those first two things, to make us lie down to, in those green pastures, to lead us beside those still and calm waters, then this is what happens. He gives me new strength. He gives me new strength. Your translation may say, he restores my soul. This phrase continues the same thought of the rest which God provides for his sheep. Taken in its most literal sense, this expression conveys David's thought that God renews and restores and strengthens and sustains our life. And so as we surrender to the leading of our shepherd, as we lie down in the pastures that he has provided for us and silence our lives long enough to drink slowly from the calm waters, he will provide the strength that we need in order to refresh and restore our soul. Now, this is what's cool. This same theme is carried out into the New Testament. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, you can look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. In fact, you can follow along on the screen because look at what it says. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for the next few moments, there's not going to be really anything on the screen, but if you may want to take some notes, and that'd be great. Because I really added this part this morning. <laughs> because as I was studying at Bojangles, yeah, that's a crazy place to study, but I was studying at Bojangles. And as I was studying, God just said, you need to put this in here. This needs to be here. And that's just how I felt in my spirit. And so, so what I'm going to give you is just what I came up with this morning. But, but I really believe it's things that we need to understand, especially if we are going to experience that rest. And so these verses that we just read, these three verses out of Matthew 11, these three verses have three very important action words that I want you to circle. They're this, come, take, and learn. So in your Bibles or on your sheet, or if you've written that verse down, just circle those words. Come, take, and learn. Struggled life when you begin to apply them starting right now today. Let me be very honest with you. If you want to find rest, this is the beginning point. It's the word come because you have to come to Jesus. That's the beginning point. You'll never find rest for your soul until you cross that line and you come to Jesus, your shepherd. That's what he said, right? He said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. We have to come to Jesus. That's the starting point. That's where it all begins. There's only one thing that can give your soul the rest that it needs in order to restore itself. And it is a personal relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus, your shepherd. But the second word was this. It was take. Look what Jesus said. He said, take my yoke upon you. He's not talking about an egg. He's not talking about that yellow part of the egg, right? That's not what he's talking about. A yoke is shared and so becomes lighter. The purpose is to make it easier on the animal, not harder. I love what J.H. Hallett once said. He said, the fatal mistake 
for the believer is to seek to bear life's load in a single collar. God never intended man to carry his burden alone. That's why Christ deals only in yokes. A yoke is a neck harness for two, and the Lord himself pleads to be one of the two. Jesus just wants to join with you. He wants to partner with you. Why? So that he can share the load. So he can carry that burden and carry that struggle, carry that stress for you in your life. And then the last word I ask you to circle was simply this, learn. He said, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, we need to learn to follow the example of Jesus. Why? Because he modeled how to have peace even in times of struggles. Now let me be very honest with you. Two of the biggest causes of stress in our life are pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. And they will get us into trouble every time and will increase our load of stress through the struggles that we face. But learning how to have a gentle and humble heart will reduce the stress and allow us to find peace and rest for our weary souls. But you may say, yeah, but if, if God, if, if I want Jesus to teach me something, why can't he teach me how to be courageous or how to have hope or how to do this or how to do that? That's, that's you're losing the point here. If you really want to find it, it starts with something very simple, gentleness and humbleness. Jesus said, you learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. And when you do that, you'll find rest. So I thought about that this morning, and I thought about how was Jesus gentle and humble? And there are three quick things. First is this, his focus was on the Father's will, not his own. You want to know the, the humbleness of Jesus? This is it. His focus was on the Father's will, not his own. In fact, when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but yours will be done. Let me tell you, there wasn't a more stressful time in his life than when he was facing death. And yet he said, not my will, but, but yours be done. His focus was on the Father's will, not his own. The second thing was this, his focus was on others, not himself. Paul wrote, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Somebody once said, humble people don't think less of themselves, they just think about themselves less. And that's true, right? It's not that you're thinking less about yourself, it's just that you're thinking about yourself less. And then the third thing is this, his focus was on serving, not being served. If you want a gentle and humble spirit, this is it. His focus was on serving, not being served. You want to get rid of that feeling of being stressed out through the struggles of life, then you put your focus on God's will on others and begin to serve somebody. Because nothing, there's nothing that will change your outlook like serving someone besides yourself. I love this verse. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 to 31. He says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and grow really like this. When life gets hard, God does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence and simply asks, do you trust me? Do you trust me? He doesn't come to explain himself. 
It simply comes to say, do you trust me? Because if you trust me, it's going to be okay. And I'm going to get you through this. And I'm going to provide for you those places of rest where your soul can be strengthened. All you got to do is trust me. There was a dad who was out playing with his nine-year-old boy, and they were out. And uh, His son was big for his age, and he was really fast. Bradley, why don't you come on up here at this time, if you would. And so they were out playing tag. And the little boy was in front of his dad, and he was running, but he would always look back to see where his dad was. So they were running and laughing, having a good time, and he was looking back at his dad, and his dad noticed that in front of him was this big tree that he was Turn around. You got to stop. Turn around. Stop. But his, his son thought he was just playing. He just kept looking back, and then when he did turn around, he just, he just smacked into that tree, broke a tooth. Laid on the ground, he was crying, and so his dad went over and picked him up, carried him in the house, and set him on the, laid him down on the couch. And his mom came in; they were trying to console him. He just, but he was just crying hysterically. And so his father didn't know what else to do, and so he simply came to his son and simply said, "Josh, do you trust me? Because if you trust me, it's going to be okay." And his son said. I trust you, Dad. And he calmed down and he stopped crying. So the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? We're going to reflect this morning. And I've got some questions up on the screen that I want you to begin to look at in your life as we reflect. Bradley's just going to play in the background. And as he plays, I just want you to reflect on these questions. And maybe ask some tough ones. What is keeping me from finding rest in my shepherd? What is it that's keeping you from finding upstream in my life? What is keeping me from trusting him? What is keeping me from trusting him? And well, lastly, how am I applying those three key words in my life? Come, take, and learn. So I just want you to take a moment. As Bradley plays, it's just to, to reflect on those questions to ask yourself some tough ones because for some of you today maybe the first thing you need to do is to come to Jesus that may be the first thing you just need to come to him maybe you've never completely surrendered your life and you just need to surrender and to give him everything you are and then allow him to work upstream in your life is it for you? Take a moment. Just reflect. And then we'll go into a time of the Lord's Supper, but let's reflect.
my prayer is that through this time God has been speaking to your heart today maybe pointing out some things or showing you some things that can help you in your walk with him can help you in those times of struggles to, to find those green pastures and to find those still waters where you can learn more and more about your Savior that's you my prayer is in just a moment when we go into the time of the Lord's Supper I'm going to be sitting right over here and I'd love for you to come and just share whatever's on your heart or maybe decisions that you have going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting with us today, this just is a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every week as we come together as the body. It's, it's one of those central focuses that we have. It's not just for our church. It's for anyone who's given their life to Christ. This is your time to be with God. To just celebrate what he has done and to focus on what he's doing in and through you. We have three stations down front. And you can come to either station. If you'll take the bread, just dip it in the cup, and then you can go back. If you'll come down the middle aisle, and then go back to the sides. And then once you've partaken, you can just spend some time with God. And once everybody's been served, then we're going to worship together. But if there's anything on your heart, I'm going to be right over here. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. So why don't you stand with me? Andy, would you pray for us, please? invite you to come.